Welcome to episode 261 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 261 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is multidisciplinary artist Kotoko Mai. On your Facebook page, you described yourself as a multidisciplinary artist. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the disciplines that you are mostly uh, uh, focusing on? And uh, let's start with that. Yeah, so um, the majority of my practice is performance-based. So I do a lot of theater. And like within theater, I write, direct, and perform and design a little bit, mostly like sound and multimedia or like Hmm. media. Um, and then outside of theater, I'm also a poet, like a spoken word poet, mm. which is how I started. Uh, nice. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> no, so your your start was 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 spoken word poetry before theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before. Well, yeah. I, okay, I want to I want to know about that. How did how did how did you get into spoken word, and then how did spoken word lead to theater? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I've always been writing. Um, like ever since I was young, like I would do this thing with my sister called episodes where we would just like remix some of our favorite shows and like basically telling each other bedtime stories. Um, and then, but like in high school, um, I think it was like probably grade 12. Um, I started going to a youth center called NGEN. Now they're called like the Space Center, I think. But it was called NGEN, and they were having, like, a workshop for spoken word. And that was my, like, introduction to spoken word. Um, yeah. What was your how – did, how did spoken word take you to theater? What, was, what started your theater journey? Um, it just gave me more confidence. Like, I did musical theater in middle school. Like, I, I used to live in the States. So in the States, we have middle school. I don't know if they have that here. I think here it's, like, primary school, secondary school. Yeah, we don't call it middle school. I mean, it's this, essentially the grade, I think, six, seven, and eight. Yeah. Um, but we don't separate them into into primary and, and, and middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it was, like, probably, like, grade seven was probably my first musical. No, six, yeah. My sis, <laughs> was my first musical. We did Grease. I was in the chorus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I liked theater then, um, but then we moved, um, and... I like the same year that I did spoken word, like learned about spoken word and started doing it and like competing. Um, I also wrote a play for the Sears Festival. Um, mm. But then I got accused of plagiarism by my teacher um, regarding like a play that she hadn't written yet. Like she said that. What? I, yeah. Yeah. It was ridiculous. 
That is ridiculous. You can't you can't plagiarize something that hasn't been written yet. Yeah, it was really wild. It, it was like a horrible like experience just for me, like because I was like super shy. I had just moved to this like uh, city, like to Hamilton, and like this was a new school, and they like announced it that I had uh, like gotten uh, my play had been picked to go to Sears, mm. and then like within a few days, she was like, "You plagiarized my text. I haven't written it yet, but you plagiarized it." <laughs> I'm so offended for you. I'm so. <laughs> but it turned out to be a good thing, though, because um, I feel like a lot of my like best art comes out of like anger and spite. Um, so like, <laughs> so I didn't get to do this year's festival, but the next year I did. I ended up doing like a grade thirteen, mm. um, and so I like asked to like eventually like it was like a real messy situation like the year before and I think by grade 13 they were kind of like feeling weird about it too and so like they were like yeah you can like use the um like the high school to like rehearse with some of your friends to do this play um but it was also the year that like all the extracurriculars were kind of like like effectively canceled because like I think there was a strike happening oh of course yeah so but because I was involved with the Poetry Slam, they connected me to, like, the Pearl Company. And so I got to, like, essentially, like, independently produce my first ever play and have it performed at the Pearl Company. And oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, it was, a great, it was amazing. <laughs> I loved that Pearl space. I loved that space. Yeah, I miss it so much. Yeah. 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 Um, now, are you still in Hamilton? Um, I'm currently living and quarantined in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very sad about um, it. <laughs> <laughs> where where oh why don't we talk about that where were you at the start of quarantine and what were you working on well I was in Toronto at the start of quarantine so like my plan was so I graduated university in 2018 and then I got um a professional development grant from the OAC to do like a paid internship with the Amy project um mm -hmm. where I was like the assistant uh artistic director and so I got to learn so much and then I was also doing um, Generator. So they're like an artist producer. They have like an artist producer training program. And so because I was going to be in the city so much and because I'm like disabled, I can't handle like commuting like four times a week. I was like, I'll just move here for the duration of these things. And then I'll just move back. <laughs> and then it like went over for like two years. And like my lease is supposed to be up in like November of this year. And the plan was to move next month back to Hamilton but now there's COVID and yeah. <laughs> my mom works in a factory so I can't really go live there <laughs> oh yeah so you're kind of you're kind of stranded a little bit oh no <laughs> it's okay though like I I, I don't know we'll see <laughs> how, how have you been spending the time how have you been keeping your creative brain and just like the rest of you busy yeah like I got like like everyone else, super depressed. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess the world is ending. And then when it became apparent that it was going to be like a mundane sort of like apocalypse, I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> so my friends and I kind of, uh, we, we have another collective that's like one of many collectives that we have because we all work together, but in different configurations. And so I kind of like organized everyone to be like, let's just do this thing. I'm going to call it Fempire and we're just going to put all our work here. And this is going to keep us like connected and like also like a little bit less depressed and give us something to do. Mm. Um, and then Fempire kind of like blossomed into something greater than that. So it's shifting a little bit, but 
it's it's yeah mainly that doing a lot of like digital work and like community organizing to make myself and how are you doing after I'm trying to think of how many months it is, but what is time? Um, <laughs> after all this time, how are you doing now? How are you feeling? Um, still bad, but a little bit functional. Like, it's fine. I'm writing a musical about it. Like, it's cool. Oh. <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's an amazing use of, of the situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, that there's going to be a period of time where we may see a bunch of, of COVID-based theater, but that's completely understandable because that's life. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's been like some like really part mainly because like we're in Canada. It's been like a lot of like forced introspection and like reflection. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I care about? What's important? What's the thing that I'm gonna do as soon as I can go outside again? Who am I gonna hug? My list of people I'm gonna hug is so long. <laughs> I have a similar list. List. <laughs> I've kind of decided that that where applicable, that's the greeting that people yes. get. Uh, handshakes are out. Yeah. And for those people who are comfortable with it, it's hugs. Exactly. I'm like, even the acquaintances. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> now, when you say that, you say even the acquaintances. And that that sort of leads me to, to ask, like, on the the the, the line of uh, introvert, ambivert, extrovert, where do you put yourself? I'm super introverted. I right. need one person to bother. <laughs> and then <laughs> that is too much. <laughs> I totally relate. You need like that one person and they're like, they're fine. Yes. <laughs> Occasionally I can go as high as five, but that's rare. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm definitely that. Yeah. But like now Have I you f- hug everyone. No, go ahead. Sorry, no, I just miss everybody. <laughs> oh well, I mean, yeah. I mean, even that's the thing, is like um for the longest time as this this was going on, I was like, you know what? As an introvert. I'm pretty okay. And um, I'm still pretty okay. I just like missed the option of seeing people in person. Like I miss, I miss going, I miss going for dim sum with friends. I miss going like out for, for meals. I miss hanging out in people's apartments. Mm -hmm. I miss all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. (laughs) Hard agree. I agree. (laughs) Have you ever written a musical before? Um, no, no, I haven't. Um, I was convinced that I hated musicals. Oh, okay. Yeah. What made, you th- what made you think that you hated musicals? Well, like I did, like I said, I did some in middle school and I liked it. And then like, as I got older and like, was like, became like more uh, like cognitively aware of like white supremacy and all that fun stuff. I started to hate them because I didn't see myself in them. And then Hamilton happened and I was like, mm. cool, but also like, I don't know. I just, it, it's messy. I have like a whole yes. rant about Hamilton. Like, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, then I guess I, I watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and I was like, mm-hmm. really lovely and fun. And then my friends kind of reminded me that I don't actually hate musicals. I'm just mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's white supremacy and I was like true um and so I ended up writing start, like starting to write this musical called Messy kind of like hmm. I was kind of pushed to do it in part because of COVID but it's been in my head for a long time because I've I I rap a lot to myself hmm. when I'm sad <laughs> and that's the whole musical <laughs> oh okay 
That's cool. Um, you know, it's it, when you say like the white supremacy of musicals. Um, I'm I sit here and I think to myself, okay, let's think of musicals that have black people in them. <laughs> That are like often perform like you go like okay there's the whiz yes that's the whiz. And you stop and you're like wait a second why are all these things so fucking white <laughs> yeah yeah and like theaters like that in general which is I mean unfortunate because mm-hmm. I mean I guess it's like it depends on where you are and like what counts as theater based on where you are um, but yeah like the theater industry at least in like Hamilton Toronto are very well. Mm. Um, even when they're trying not to be, but yes, no, absolutely. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's, I, you know, we, I don't like to generalize, but everywhere I've been, mm-hmm. um, the theater has been pretty damn white. It's like, because the people who are programming are white, mm-hmm. that's how they think. And they have a default of white. Yeah. Um, we're seeing more interesting things happening at Soul Pepper, at Theater mm-hmm. Pass Mirai, at Factory now. Mm-hmm. But that's the the byproduct of of have of putting a black woman and two women of, of color mm-hmm. in the in positions of of, of, of the creative decisions there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't see in, in a lot of other places. So we find that white default. And there's literally no reason for it. Yeah. Except for white supremacy. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see who ends up getting the job with Theater Aquarius. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a whole thing right there. I was talking with Aaron Jan about that a few times, and that's mm-hmm. like a clusterfuck as far as I'm concerned of 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 missed opportunities. And hopefully, they'll you know suddenly show an interest in serving the community. Which is yeah, it's wild to me that they don't. And it's like my favorite like kind of like joke about theater Aquarius is that sometimes it feels like they've failed even like the white men. And, <laughs> and I'm like, that's when, you know, you really, really, really fucked up. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I'm very excited to see who takes that, who gets that job and gets that opportunity to like, I hope they make a really bold choice. <laughs> I'm super interested in seeing who follows through with their black lives matter statements. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I am watching. Like I'm, Very- yeah, and I, mean, I think that's the thing is 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 people are watching. Like you made these statements, mm-hmm. and when you open back up, don't go back to business as usual because mm-hmm. we are gonna fucking call you out. This is it. Exactly. Although I have found that I've been kind of like upset at some of these organizations that have made those statements and are doing something, but they are also like, um. I feel like sometimes people will, compl- or institutions, well, people as well, mm-hmm. will kind of like conflate like BIPOC and black. Yes. It's like I've been growing increasingly frustrated seeing all of these like theater companies, for example, saying like we stand by like black folks and we're like reviewing how we can like um, fix the anti-blackness, like get rid of it in our space. And the initiative that they roll out is BIPOC. And it's like, that's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm just... I'm just quietly watching, full of rage, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, I think, I mean, right now we can quietly watch because there's not a whole lot going on. Yeah, everyone's quiet. Um, and when they reopen, then we'll stop being quiet. They won't because stop? Or they will? I won't, I won't stop being quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, right now they're not doing anything. So we're watching. We're remembering that they made these statements. And then when they open back up, don't tokenize, like show some real change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
like that can start now too. Like they don't have to wait. I feel like a lot of people don't mm-hmm. know what to do. Um, yeah. I mean, there is, there is that in this particular period of time, like, like there's, there's the question of what is theater in this time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people are trying to figure out how do I make theater over zoom mm-hmm. and have it feel like a theatrical experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's, this, there's so many questions about that, about about how to diversify, how to how to be anti-racist as a company, all of those things that they're trying to figure out at the same time. Mm-hmm. But as they as they start to do things in like to produce things, even digitally, like I I want to see less white people, <laughs> and I say that as a white people, <laughs> I'm bored of it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, show me what's outside my window. Show me the world outside for real, Mm -hmm. which is a very colorful place Mm -hmm. or don't even bother. Yeah. I think part of what makes it hard, especially right now, is that like, which I guess is why I should be like a tiny bit less, like more forgiving, but like, uh, like everybody's so low capacity right now because we all collectively don't know what's going on. And then so, like, people who were already low capacity before are even, like, lower. Like, I know that, like, dealing with the pandemic for me was, like, really stressful um, mm-hmm. as, like, a disabled person. And then also, like, when all, like, the, like, when all the anti-blackness was in the news and we were seeing all those pictures of all those bodies and, like, just, like, that was, like, too much. And I was, like, I'm out. <laughs> and there was no way I was going to be able to, like, make art, even if someone, like, handed me an opportunity and, like, locked yeah. me. Um, that being said, I mean, I hope that they really, like, improve, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when people are yeah. better. Oh, yeah. And there definitely have been moments of, of, of inability to do anything. I know I felt it. Like, in the mm-hmm. first few weeks of the pandemic, about all I was capable of doing was... I think I heard the phrase doom scrolling, just open Facebook and just scroll forever. I'm bored of that. That's too, that's too depressing. Twitter. Oh, that's even worse. You know, just sitting there doing that. And then that would fade and I'd start to feel creative and then something else would happen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's going in phases. Yeah. Waves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you been, what do you do when you find those waves uh, take you towards the doom scrolling or similar activities how do you deal with that um how do I deal with that I am very like community focused so like one of the things that's been good with vampire is that like um some of us have just been able to like use it as a way to like vent and then be validated and like be reminded to eat food um I have a really good friend group we send each other food all the time um we try to hold each other accountable for like projects that we wanted to complete or like grants that we're struggling to complete. Um, we pick up each other's work. So that's been like really nice. Um, I got two cats during the pandemic. <laughs> um, How is that going? They're amazing. Okay. Listen, so <laughs> one of them takes Prozac. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cute. And she was like so anxious and so stressed when we first met and like she would like bite to kill and like mm. draw blood and claw and hiss and hide. And now she like jumps up onto like my legs and like stares at me until I pet her. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. 
they are endlessly entertaining cats. They're so perfect. <laughs> and they have such like visible personalities. Like mm-hmm. they have their own like personalities. It's amazing. Um so you got the cats during during COVID times. Yeah. Did you um was it a sudden opportunity or were did you like wait were, did it like creep up on you the need to have a pet? I've always kind of wanted one. I've always wanted a pet um and then been too nervous to do it. Um but then the pandemic happened. My sister was at my mom's and mm. like we lived together um and she was at my mom's and she had to stay there for a while cuz she can't go and come back um for my health. And so I was alone for a month. <laughs> Yeah, and my partner was like, "Yeah, you should you should get a pet." I'm worried. <laughs> yeah. And you went for two. And I went for two. I got a bonded pair so they can hang out. Oh, that's so good. Are they are they siblings? Um the the foster home said that they were mother and daughter. They they okay. absolutely are not. Uh, <laughs> not at, not at all. But yeah, it's really sweet. They're like best friends. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um yeah, cats are cats are pretty awesome. Okay. And and you know, as far as you know, if you have the option, you know, you're thinking about cat or dog. You know, I know so many people who got dogs, but man, that's a life choice. It is. I I cannot be trusted to go outside every day. This <laughs> is <laughs> not <good>. no. <laughs> um, now, can you tell me the cats' names? Yes, uh, Junebug and Lulu. Oh my god! You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's wonderful thank you <laughs> um so they must they must keep you pretty pretty entertained they do and like they're so perfect um i have a joke with my friends and like we've been making videos of like lulu because she's so energetic um and i bought her a red laser and so like, mm. i play with her with the laser and then i like put on a british accent and i like pretend I'm doing a documentary about the fact that she's a performance artist and what does this mean? It's so fun. She's so perfect. Oh my goodness. That's like a, that's like a hit TikTok right there. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. TikTok helps so much with the pandemic. I love TikTok. I'm like on like, like gay leftist TikTok. I'm actually on perfect TikTok. <laughs> it's really lovely. I love Gen Z. They're going to mm. save us. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate that's, they have to, but they are. <laughs> I mean, I I still am not sure how to switch TikToks. Like, <sighs> like I'm I don't mind being on Gen Z mm-hmm. uh, uh, TikTok, mm-hmm. and I don't mind being on on like, hey, this is fun TikTok, and people are like, you know, there's there's like there's like fun gay TikTok, and that would be fine too. Like, let's <laughs> let's. I just haven't figured out yet how to switch TikToks. It does it for you, I think. I tried to read about it, and some weird algorithm that decides what it thinks you like the algorithms are going to be our doom you know that right like the algorithms are the worst thing that we've done yes yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) um are you keeping are you keeping off twitter um yes successfully yes i am that's good that's good though i heard trump got covid so that's nice i mean it was briefly nice but he made it he made it i mean not um but then he like the worst possible outcome was that he, you know, it wasn't that bad for him. And then he came out being like, I'm immune. I'm wonderful. I'm basically a superhero. Wow, so. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I was just going to say that I follow Kelly Ann Conway's daughter on TikTok. Uh, now that's a dr- that's drama right there so dramatic oh my god like this poor child Ugh. But, mm. like i can't yeah she's only 15 but i saw that like her mom got covid and was coughing yeah. and her mom is fine and now she's like very sick and having the worst time mm. so it really is like yeah it's so bad it's so bad, it's so bad. um in terms of in terms of no, you mentioned going to you graduated. Were you were you in a theater program and where were you? Yeah, I went to McMaster for okay. theater film studies and multimedia. So I got a combined honors degree. Hmm. Um, yeah. Originally I was gonna do media communications, but then decided that um I hated it. And then I did English, hated that, and then what did I do? Yeah, then I went to theater. And I was like, hmm. I might as well do something I love. I mean, you might as well, right? Yeah. If you're going to spend, like, all that time. Yes. Don't do something you hate. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you choose that school, like, for a reason? Was it, like, because I, I always like to know why people chose the school that they that they went to. I hear all kinds of different stories. So was there something that drew you to that school? No. Um, my mom told me I had to go to McMaster. Um, in part, <laughs> like, mainly it was just, like, we had just moved to Canada and mm. like, I didn't really even know about like like what university to apply to um mm. and like in the states like because like we were like pretty poor it's so, like in the states there was like no chance that I was ever going to school like my dream school was like NYU but there was no chance uh, right. when we moved here it became accessible and so suddenly this thing that I thought was impossible was suddenly possible um mm. and so I applied like kind of randomly I applied to like U of T for criminology um, McMaster for uh, uh, multi uh, no sorry for media and communications and then like mm. there for theater um, but my mom was like you're going to Mac and I was like okay <laughs> <laughs> um, now you you mentioned like growing up in the states where where in the states were you uh, we were in San Jose California for five years and then Massachusetts for five years Hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. Before that, Australia. And, you ke- and then South Africa before that. Whoa! Okay. Yeah. Um, and when you how, when when did you come to Canada? Uh, 2010. That would have been, 2010? Yeah. All right. All right. You've been here for a good 10 years. That's, yeah. that's not bad. I mean. It's pretty good. <laughs> happy anniversary, 2020, but whatever. <laughs> um, as, as, as somebody coming... I don't know how how much you knew about the theater in the states when you came, um, but what what have you noticed the most about the difference between the states and and Canada? In terms of like theater specifically, if you if if you're able, because I know yeah. you know that was that was a while ago, but um, yeah. just either theater or generally. I mean, I feel like for me at least, it feels more accessible. Um, I feel like in the states, I wanted to do film. Um, but it also seemed kind of impossible, whereas here it feels way more possible. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's, well, it's probably kind of specific to Canada just cause like, you know, the States has Hollywood and there's just like so much, Yeah, it just, it's hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it's like, there's more opportunity as like an individual person hmm. and an independent artist to kind of like build, um, mm-hmm. especially in Hamilton especially right now, I think. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of, like, um, there's a gap between, like, 
the people who want to do the thing and like the actual knowledge of like how to do it sustainably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when the quarantine is over, whenever that may be, mm-hmm. um, will you go back to Toronto or sorry, back to Hamilton? I think the hope is yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the hope is yes. The one thing that makes it hard or one of the things that makes it hard is just like being able to like work as an artist because I like it is possible to do it in a way that's sustainable and like make money. Mm-hmm. But um, there are fewer opportunities for someone like me in Hamilton, not just because mm-hmm. of, like race and like gender and queerness, but also just like I'm like disabled, which means I need like a, a lot of like accommodations that I think mm-hmm. that a lot of like organizations if they exist in Hamilton um, wouldn't be able to accommodate not just because of like it's inconvenient but because it costs money mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah I think Toronto unfo- like fortunately and unfortunately just like has more like money and infrastructure to accommodate mm-hmm. like the needs that I would that I have yeah there's also, I mean, the time that I spent in, in, in Hamilton, and it wasn't that long. I was really only there for Fringe. But the venues that I was able to see are old, and some of them are not necessarily that accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely not physically accessible. Some of them have, like, yeah, it's just not great. And part of it is, like, money. Mm. Um, yeah, and then people keep moving to Toronto or, like, to the States. What's what's funny is, you know, for for a while there, I had a friend who who moved to to Hamilton and all of a sudden he was like trying to coax all of his theater people to go to Hamilton um, just to try to 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 keep the the arts going. He was like, this is the place to be. Mm -hmm. I never took him up on it. But um, have you seen the people in Hamilton are, are sort of like leaving the theater scene in Hamilton and going to Toronto? It's funny. I feel like older artists from Toronto are moving to Hamilton and younger artists from Hamilton are moving to Toronto. Mm. Um, Especially like BIPOC artists. I think that like there are lots, there are a few like artists who are even like coming to mind right now who are like, I would say like older, more established artists. Um, Mm -hmm. People who I've like learned from who I think are like really trying to like do what you said, like make Hamilton, like keep the arts alive there and like do a lot. Um, and then I know that a lot of like, um, like just in my friend group, the only artists that are staying in Hamilton are my artist friends who are like white and also mm-hmm. have like a, like a connection to Hamilton. Like they grew up there, like that's their home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And so it makes sense. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. To me, that just sort of says that, 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 that there's a large number of people that, that Hamilton is failing. Mm-hmm. as a place for the arts um if you look at 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 um aquarius mm-hmm. you know um as the one professional theater the big you know i mean there's others semi-professional theaters but you know as the the theater in hamilton mm-hmm. it's essentially failed and like it's failed everybody locally everybody <laughs> And it's failed. Um, it's definitely failed BIPOC people. Mm-hmm. It's failed as many ways as, as it is possible to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the example for um, what theater is in Hamilton, why wouldn't people leave to go somewhere where at least they can get work 
Exactly. And make work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is why, yeah, they definitely have to, whoever steps into that role has like a lot of just like repairing trust and relationships with the community. Like they have to do a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think, what I'm worried about is that they're just going to like find like some like BIPOC person and like put them up there to just continue their legacy of just like failing the community. Well, that's always that there is that, that a danger with, um, with some boards. They'd be like, all right, they want, they want a BIPOC person. We'll put somebody in there, but we won't give them any power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll make sure that they have to pass their, their season through us. We will put all kinds of restrictions on them. Mm-hmm. And then when it doesn't work, we'll throw up our hands and go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to like rethink boards completely. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't make sense for like the work that we're, we all say that we want to do. Um, yeah. It doesn't, I feel like, well, I know that like a lot of like the ways that like artistic, like organizations, like theater companies are like structured, like kind of like mimics the way that like different kinds of like, uh, like a more corporate, like atmosphere structured, like, mm-hmm. like we're not a factory. We're not like, this isn't like we go to an office and we do this work and then we like go home. Like this is like arts and like we should have some sort of framework that makes sense for what we actually do. Mm-hmm. It's 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 almost like I mean, no, it's it. The boards exist because all, most of our theaters are considered charities or not for profit. And so they're required to have a board, but the board has an inordinate, inordinate amount of power. Too much power. Yeah. 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 Um, here's a, here's a question. When you were looking at, at theater as a career, um, when did you realize mm-hmm. that theater was going to be your career? And, and that may have been just when you decided to study theater at university. Mm-hmm. And did you have any pushback from people around you, guidance, counselors, parents, family, whatever? Um, I feel like I have two answers to that. One, which is like me being petty and like still kind of like holding a grudge. My teacher (laughs) in grade 10, so like this was in the States, I told her I wanted to be a director, like a theater director, and she told me to think about something else, to do something else. What? She said I wouldn't be good at it because I was too shy. Listen, you have got every right to be petty about that. You hold on to that. Yeah, I'm very (laughs) I had good teachers too. Like I had really good teachers. Like Mr. B. Hill from SJAM, amazing. Built up my confidence. Super great. Um, but yeah, so that sucked. Um, but when I like went into school for theater, I went there for the film part of the theater degree and Mm. learned that it wasn't film, it was film studies and like Mm. most of the creative stuff would happen in like theater. So I took a lot of theater courses, realized like it was cool and that I liked it and I liked being able to tell stories this way because I felt like film was suddenly more inaccessible in terms of like creating I think it's more accessible for audiences, but harder to actually like finance a film and all that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But I saw theater as something that like I could like, you know, apply for grants, get a cohort of like collaborate, like get a, co- a bunch of collaborators in the same room, and like we could make this thing and present it. Um. So yeah, I don't think I got any pushback really. Um, yeah, I didn't get really any pushback aside like from my family or anything like that. Mm. Um, yeah, that's good. Like, 
you know, you hear stories about people who are like, yes, I had to come out to my parents as an actor. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never had to do that. I wanted to go to school for psychology. My mom said mm. no, because I was sensitive. So <laughs> oh. I was like, all right, I will not do huh. a well-paying career and I will do theater and fund myself. And it's like been really good so far. Like I've been very fortunate mm. to have like really good me- mentors who are like, mm. this is how you apply for a grant. Oh, you're too nervous. How about you just talk the grant to me and I will type it up. And now you have seen, like you have applied for a grant. Congratulations. Hmm. Right. Like I've had really, really good mentors, all of them femme, um, Hmm. most of them BIPOC, which I don't think is like a coincidence um, because they've been very, very generous with their knowledge. And in part, I think it's because they're aware of like all these like systemic barriers to actually being able to like be an artist in a way that's like, semi-sustainable um and even when like my like imposter syndrome or like my disabilities get in the way Hmm. like they are like constantly like still like trying to be innovative and be like okay so how can we figure this out how can we make this a thing that you can do and so the Hmm. thing that i'm trying to carry with me like every step of the way like i'm still very much a baby like baby artist Hmm. (laughs) baby activist baby artist um but i'm always trying to like share that knowledge with people as i get it because it's like it's what we have to do because mm-hmm. a lot of this knowledge you have to buy into. It's, I mean, it's a, a, a few years ago I was talking, uh, I had the opportunity to talk with, uh, with Jackie Thomas from theater Gargantua. And she was like, listen, I'm going to tell you the secret. I learned this years ago. And that is that people want to help you. Mm-hmm. You just have to ask. And I was like, where were you 20 years ago? Yeah. It's amazing how generous people are. Like, yeah. it's truly amazing. I like, um, right as the pandemic was starting, I had a friend who was in trouble. So I was like suddenly like trying to do a fundraiser for her. Um, and part of the fundraiser was like, I, w- I wanted to like throw this event. And so like this event should have cost like maybe like 10K to produce. And I was able to do it all on a budget of zero because everybody was so generous. Like the performers mm. were like very generous. Like the venue was like, here, take it for free. Do you want that mm. person? We'll give it to you. We can do lights and sound and all that stuff. Like it was, people were like offering food, like catering for free. Mm. Like, it was because like they were like rallying around this like BIPOC person who was like in a really bad situation. And this was like in the beginning of the pandemic, mm. right? Like people are so generous and so kind. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously don't take advantage, but like if you're a good person, no. <laughs> like ask and if you feel too scared to navigate the world as if you were like a cis straight white man who's like born a millionaire and like it's your job to ask and receive <laughs> you know I, I i i've had some friends who are like they're applying for jobs and they're like oh i don't have all the qualifications and i look at them and i'll say you apply for that job as though you were a confident white man yeah who had like one of the required skills because that's what that's what they would do so you apply for that job with most of those skills. Yeah. I'm taking that energy with me and like like shooting my shot and applying for the theater queries job because I'm just like, just don't fuck it up again. <laughs> like I mean, why not? Yeah. Like like I said, I feel like they have to make a bold choice and I think that they're failing. They failed so many people that mm. like it's like I, I think I like part of the forced introspection of COVID is that I feel like I'm realizing how much of my artistic practice has been taken over by white supremacy. Like I make Mm -hmm. black art, but for white audiences and for white jurors on grants. 
Um, and I like don't want to do that. That's not exciting to me at all. It just means that my hmm. art is just educating and I don't actually get to flourish as an artist because I'm just teaching people why they should recognize me as like another human being. Um, mm-hmm. And similarly, like I'm tired of waiting for um, my elders who have like the most power to like catch up to the idea that I'm a person <laughs> mm. <clears throat> and that I deserve more than just being heard and more than just being seen. Like I deserve action. Um, mm. And so, yeah, like I really, I really want, even if I don't get that job, I just want them to like hear those words and like take that into action and do something do something bold and like really make up for the harm that they've done to the entire community. Like mm-hmm. everyone. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> now when you're, when you're looking at, um, you know, you mentioned the, 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 the making art for as a, as a, as a, as a, as a black person for white audiences and trying to explain yourself to white juries and things like that. Are you like, I don't know what I'm saying here. Like, are you, What's the way out of, I mean, obviously we need more, more black people on the juries if that's the case, but, um, is that, are you done making art for those people? And are you, are you at the point now where you're thinking about I'm making art for people like me, or Mm -hmm. is there still more to navigate with the white audience and juries for you? I feel like it's a bit of both because I thought that I was making art for my communities and then I realized that like I was censoring myself a lot, but not out of like care for my audience, more out of like, oh, well, if I say this, will like a white lady kind of like clutch her pearls and be like, what the heck? That was so abrasive. Be nicer. Um, and I realized that a lot when I was making this musical because like this like musical, it's like a hip hop musical. And it's about like this girl named Messi who's just like genderqueer and like really depressed. And she's just like, she's like had it. And so she's like very angry and she's very funny and she's just like, like she ha- like has no filter. And like, even as I'm like writing that, I'm like, oh, but this is going to make white people feel like uncomfortable or attacked maybe. And I'm just like, but like, it'll make like black femmes feel seen and like they will feel like they can engage with their trauma in a way that maybe doesn't feel so traumatic. Um, I think that like a lot of it is just like internal work that I've had to do to like even just like realize that mm-hmm. I think COVID is also just like it, I don't want to romanticize COVID like people are dying no um but I think that like because everyone has lost their jobs and we've all been kind of forced to be like okay now we're just waiting I've had like the privilege of just like having time to like sit and like be introspective like in a real way mm-hmm. so just as we draw to a close here Um, I'm guessing I may know what your answer is, but it's something that I've been asking everybody um, since the quarantine started. And that's just this. Um, What has been giving you joy that has got you through every day so far? My cats. I knew you were going (laughs) to. I've become a cat lady. I'm obsessed with them. That's as it should be, though. Is, wouldn't the cat say that's just the way it's supposed to be? They would. They really would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so lovely. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, do you post? Are they your main your main subject on like Instagram and stuff? I'm ho- I'm trying my best to like hold back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're so cute, and I post a picture of them like every week. I should make them their own account. I'm surprised that you can manage to keep it to one week. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fun. This has been a Homebody Productions production.